The talk this evening is on meeting and understanding the torments of the mind. Probably we have met a few of them today on our first day of practice. And it's important to know what they are and how to relate to them. In his quest, the Buddha, who attained enlightening under the Bodhi tree, up to the very end, it said in the legend, he encountered a very great force, a torment of the mind, which was a stepping stone towards his understanding to full awakening. And that is represented by the force of Mara under the form of doubt. And so it's not because we're a beginner and we think that these forces only appear until a certain time in the practice. These forces are apparent and will be present because they appear due to conditions. But the way that we can relate to them differs when we begin or when we know how to practice further on. And so he saw so clearly how the mind gets caught into conditioning and how unconditionally one can get caught and disentangle the ways of creating and how we create bondage and suffering for ourselves. His quest was one of great endeavor to see just what is presenting itself in the mind. And that's exactly the same invitation that we have been offered to take. And there's no way that another person can do it for us. And his quest was look and see clearly for yourself the truth of the reality of what is. Come and see for yourself. So it's important to understand how our minds can become reactive. And very often when we begin, that's all we get to see. Reaction, one reaction after another. Reactive mind to this, to that. Liking, disliking, judging, comparing. But his many years of teaching revolved exactly around this issue. The torments of the mind are only torments of the mind if they are not seen clearly. And they are stepping stones to liberation when they are seen for what they are. So there's a great possibility of liberation here. And the Buddha summed up his understanding with the following words. He said, to end all suffering, one needs to cultivate, to develop a mind that clings to nothing. 
out of this non-clinging, the fact that we don't cling, the truth would unfold. That is all that it takes to move from bondage to liberation. It's the force of clinging that keeps us bound. So what does clinging mean? Clinging means here that we identify. We get caught in attachment. And we've seen this for ourselves very clearly, even in a few hours, in a few moments of practice, we can see that we have preferences, that we do have evaluations about our practice, wanting this type of experience, not wanting that one. And all these likes and dislikes are forms of clinging. It's quite simple to understand. And what happens then is that our minds are continually thrown out of balance. Balance because there's reaction, rather than just letting the flow of experience move on. And that's why we use awareness, mindfulness, to rest and to find a possibility of balance. It's mindfulness is a non-judgmental attention. It doesn't have any kind of preference. And so when there's a moment of mindfulness, and you've all had moments of mindfulness today, I'm sure, moments when you just see clearly without reaction, in that moment, that moment is a moment of liberation. It's temporary liberation because there isn't any clinging. So this is not an understanding that we realize through thinking. It's directly experiencing. And these insights that appear are connected to true seeing. And so it takes a few of them to believe and to really understand that that is the way towards freedom. So the experience of meditation is a journey into ourselves. Nothing else than exploring ourselves and understand all of life. And of course we'll find that we have ups and downs. There are moments when it's really pleasant and easy, and there are moments we really want to go out and leave. Highs and lows. Times when it's pleasant and times when there's pain. But the beauty and the way that mindfulness works is that it can invite us to explore all of our experience. Because if we think that meditation is gaining a specific state and staying in that state of calm, of tranquility, of peace. That's a belief that is created in the mind that needs for life to be a certain way. And clearly, we know that it's not possible for life to always be tranquil and easy for us. And so if we tend towards 
a state that we find pleasant and exclude all other experience, well, that is not insight practice. Because insight practice is understanding and learning from all of our experiences, whatever is presenting to us. Clearly, there's a part which is understanding and seeing through stabilizing the mind. The more we steady the mind, the more we'll see clearly what is presenting itself. But there's the insight, the wisdom comes from not having any preference. And so this implies a tremendous willingness from our part. I think that there's no endeavor that requires so much courage that we open to all of life to that extent. But the <coughs> courage comes because the mindfulness grows and there's a possibility of tuning into the practice and finding in very clear ways moments of freedom from the torments of the mind. And even in very, very simple ways. Just today there might have been a moment, ah, ease. And it just brings us to an endeavor and a strength of heart and mind that we keep on continuing to stay firm and stable when it's not so easy. There's a trust that comes, which is very palpable. I'm sure that before we came, I don't think we had any idea that why we're suffering comes from clinging. I know that for my part, when I first came to a retreat, I thought, wow, this is a very interesting teaching to know and to hear that there's something that I can do, and it's my responsibility in a way, my take on life, that there can be a shift in the way that I cause myself suffering, and that can I also liberate myself from suffering. It doesn't need to be always so, that life is suffering and that's the end. And the Buddha clearly said, it's not the end. There's a possibility of freeing the mind from suffering. So what are these obscurations? What are these torments of the mind? Well, there are many, many mind states that cause pain in the mind. But the Buddha named five categories of experience that have a lot of subdivisions, you can say, as causes of suffering. And it says that if they're not seen, if these mind states are not known, they clearly hinder <coughs> the truth. They hinder the nature of mind. But when they're seen, they're causes for greater opening 
and a greater sense of wisdom. So what are they? The first one is sense-desire or wanting. The second is exactly the opposite force of aversion. The third is sloth and thorpor or dullness of the mind. The fourth is the opposite state of restlessness or worry, anxiety. And the fifth is doubt, the doubting mind. So I'm sure that you've had one of these visitors today. <laughs> if not all, sometime we talk about the multiple obscuration attack and torment attack. But they appear in the mind just like clouds appear in the sky. Clouds come and go, right? They're not here forever. The nature, the quality of the sky, the nature of the sky, is not affected by the passing clouds. Right? Clouds visit the sky, and we know that even if it's a cloudy day, well, the sky is blue. And here in the same way, these torments of the mind don't belong to the nature of mind. They're just visiting forces. Maybe we don't like them as guests, they're unfriendly, and we'd like them to leave sooner than they do, but they are not inherent and they don't belong to the nature of the mind. That's why we can work with them and that's why we can free the mind. So they appear and they disappear. They come and go. And that's exactly how we understand that certain conditions will create these mind states to be present. And other conditions will create for them to be absent. So mindfulness or awareness enables one to see exactly what is without affecting or distorting the truth of the mind. What this means is that there's no permanent state. There's absolutely nothing solid that can hinder the mind. And what it also means is that experience change in every moment. Every single moment there's a possibility of opening and of non-clinging. So a transformation is possible. Even if you think that you're totally stuck in something, the moment that you see it and that there's acceptance and non-identification, then there's a possibility of freedom. One of the ways that we stay stuck is when we think and we have this belief that when they're present, it's a mistake from our part. That we've done something bad and that there's something wrong about ourselves. And so we add a layer there of reaction. 
And it's often the case that they don't just pass by, seen for what they are as visitors, just because of the fact that we think that something is wrong when they're present. And so there is no mistake. It's really important to understand that it's not because these states are unpleasant that there's a mistake or that we should feel bad about ourselves when they're present. What it means here is that it requires a little more care. There's a sense of, of caring, of kindness, which I talked about today, which really is helpful in meeting these different difficult forces. Because a lot of the clinging is in the relationship that we have towards these mind states. And I'll describe these. The Dalai Lama says, nothing, absolutely nothing, is not worthy of our attention. And that's exactly why we practice with everything. We can explore every single experience. He says, remember that, it's very important. He says, often the difficulties that we encounter are exactly the places that wake us up the most. The difficulties that we encounter are exactly the places that wake us up the most. Why is that? Because we need to work a little more. Because we need to look and to meet ourselves and understand, hey, what's going on here? It's so easy to have a pleasant sitting and, oh yeah, it's nice and something has happened. But when we're really meeting and we're staying stable with the difficulties, there's a greater learning. <coughs> it requires a greater opening of the heart, a caring, a sense of allowing ourselves to really be true. Great sense of courage. So, in fact, these difficult mind state contain within themselves a huge potential of liberation, much greater than tranquility or calm. Of course, there's a balance that is needed. And there are moments when, thank goodness, it's calm and tranquil. But that's not the end of the path. And that's exactly what the Buddha says. He says, we're not practicing only for peace or calm state. We're practicing for liberation. Liberation in all kinds of ways from the torments of the mind. So when we meet fear, restlessness, anxiety, worry, so many of these states have been mentioned today in the interviews, it means that there's an improvement in the practice. Why? because we're closer in our connection to ourself. It means that rather than staying at the surface and in our busyness and thinking mind, we've already, in just 
a day felt the direct experience of, oh, this is fear. It doesn't feel good. What can I do about it? How can I relate to it? Or anxiety or worry? There's a greater connection and that is a progress in the practice. Even if it's challenging. And it's true that in our lives today, in a way we're moving so much towards having a sense of material comfort, yet having more and more existential anxiety because of what the world is offering to us. Not much safety. In so many ways, we can see more than ever that, who, it's unstable, not very solid, not very reliable in many ways. And that's the truth. And so here, this is a way that we are working on ourselves that exactly presents this ability, this capacity to know how to relate when it becomes difficult. So the sense desire, how does it manifest? And why does sense desire bring pain? How can it bring unsatisfactoriness? Well, this wanting mind, the mind that is grasping for things to be always pleasant, pleasant sights, sounds, tastes, smells, looking, reaching out, for everything that is pleasant is a form of desire that brings pain because it represents a feeling that something is lacking within me that I'm looking outwardly for. There's a lack of completeness there's a neediness, there's a sense of wanting something because something is lacking in me. And therefore, that brings pain. And that force, when there is this craving for things to be a certain way, for people to be a certain way, for ourselves to be a certain way, this wanting is an experience that can only bring pain because of the changing experiences. We very well know that we can enjoy a certain experience, whatever it is, sensory experience or pleasant relationship, for a certain time. And then it changes, conditions change. Is it okay to just enjoy? the moment that it's present and are able to move on, to move forward. Often there's a resistance and that's exactly what brings the pain. The wanting is the reactivity of the mind that wants to keep the experience present. Do you understand that? Yeah? It's quite obvious that we've seen this today. And so many people have described that this habit of wanting, wanting pleasant. 
and how much this insight can be helpful when we see so clearly for ourselves and understand that the intensity of the desire, that intense desire that we have, it doesn't depend on getting the object. It doesn't depend on anything that is outwardly linked to the object. We so much invest in that object, in that thing that we want, whatever it is, a piece of chocolate, a piece of cake, a nice latte, whatever. We invest so much in it. And yeah, once we get it, is it that pleasurable? It doesn't bring the pleasure that we think it should bring. Why? Because the intensity of the desire is related exactly to the degree of attachment. It's the attachment that we think will lead to something greater, of greater pleasure. And so when we see that so clearly that it's the force of attachment that creates clinging, then naturally, of course, naturally, we let go. The mind just poof, opens up. Another way that the wanting mind works, and when it's present, it brings pain, is when we have a pleasant sensation or a pleasant feeling, sight, sound, and we kind of guard <coughs> it, wanting to keep it forever. So how can we notice this? How can we be present with this? mind that is attached to a certain form, a form of wanting, and not at all get attached. Well, awareness, mindfulness, recognizing the force of attachment, our relationship to our mind, is exactly what will make us understand the force of letting go will be able to understand very naturally, very organically, the ability to just let go. Awareness won't hold on because it sees, it feels the pain of holding on. And very often, it's also helpful to feel that leaning forward, that impulse, that habit, of the mind that grips also in the body. You know, there's this sense of uh, rushing forward, leaning forward. Sometimes we can even see people walking and they're all bent over because there's this force of desire of wanting which is just so present. Even if there isn't an object, it's just a habit. And so to notice and relax back 
and just open and feel, allow the feeling just to pass by. Now it's not to mention that there are not wholesome desires. There are plenty of desires that are totally not linked to wanting. The desire, for example, to sustain one's body with food. We need nourishment. Or the desire to care for other beings, the desire to motivate oneself to liberate the mind. All these are desires that are not at all linked to the force of wanting that creates grasping. So it's important to make that distinction and to realize that there are different sorts of desire. The second torment of the mind is the opposite force and that's getting caught into aversion. And that aversion is exactly the same force of wanting, except it's opposed. It doesn't want unpleasant experience. It rejects the unpleasant. And we can say that this is kind of a non-acceptance of difficult situations. There's a form of resistance, for example, when we have a difficult body sensation, one that is painful. There's, of course, some part of ourselves that doesn't want to meet the pain. And so the relationship will be one of pulling back, aversion, resistance. But the mind thinks that if it pulls back and it isolates that state, then we can practice with the rest of our meditation or of our experiences. Yeah, let me get rid of that and then I'll be able to practice. Except that it's not really gone. It's still present. So there's a denial of that experience. Therefore, what is it that will help us to relate to that aversion without aversion? And it's again the relationship that we are inviting ourselves to be with when there is a difficult situation and a first type of mind state or a difficult bodily sensation. Usually the reaction is one of aversion. And that aversion is what is creating the pain. So to meet that, to really clearly see how am I relating to this? What is my attitude of mind? And I've encouraged you to look, question, investigate the mind. How am I relating to this experience? With acceptance, with openness, or am I clearly resisting? And if there is resistance, then that's the object of meditation. Awareness should meet and really see what pain is created by continually resisting. And again, not to get rid, just to accept and to open. This means that we're going to feel the contraction or the pain 
maybe a little more intensely. But it's all right if there's enough awareness and enough balance of mind. We'll see also that it's a passing state, that it's not there forever. It's not permanent. And we can only see that it's not permanent, that it really is changing and quite dissoluted when it's seen very closely, when there's a true connection. Often we stay at a distance and therefore we kind of are present but not fully present and get caught into the state of reaction. So using gentleness in our approach is essential to meet the difficult mind states being wanting or aversion. These two are the prior and the main ones that we can meet in my practice. And we can see again and again that these forces are happening, are present. But again, it's okay to feel them. I had a great learning when I went to India once and I had the wonderful opportunity to meet Deepama, a great, great yogi practitioner from India who had practiced with a lot of torment of the mind. She had so many difficulties. She had lost a number of her children, her husband, and she was in total despair when someone told her, but if you're going to continue like this, you're going to break your heart and die of pain. And this person said to her, you should meditate. It's going to help you to really understand what's happening. And she had this great strength of heart and mind. She could barely walk because she was in so much pain and went through the whole of her cycle of understanding the suffering within herself and was said to be a very realized being by meeting again and again her suffering, not avoiding, not rejecting, not denying, not pretending that it wasn't present. And she was the most beaming person totally radiating with bliss and love. And she was saying, the only thing that is needed is perseverance in your presence and love for yourself. Love your pain. And so when I went to her and I was in a time of really great difficulty, she was just present in silence. And the only two words that she said, because she was herself in practice, she looked at me and she said, whatever it is, just tell yourself, it's okay. It's okay. I can take this. I can bear this. So there's a meaning of trust here, which leads to greater courage. And that courage brings us to ability to connect and then understanding flows from this meeting and this connection.
The third is very common to us all, especially on the first day of practice. It's sloth and torpor. We've got states and moments when the mind is just dull and the body feels sluggish and this is just totally normal. Because there's such a shift in our system and a transition is usually very abrupt, so there's a possibility that we have a lack of energy to stay present. But often we're trying to force ourselves to be present and that f brings us to a leakage of the little energy that we have. There's a leakage of energy to try to stay present or to be more clear. So when there's sleepiness or this dull state of mind, again, it's important to accept it. Just allow that state to be. There can be a level of awareness that feels the dullness, the sluggishness, the fogginess, or whatever it is that that state feels like. And a refueling of energy. In those moments when there's low energy, there's clearly a resting place for a greater energy to come forward at other times later on in the practice. And this can be very quick. These changes, suddenly you feel completely low energized and a change happens and the mind's clear again without fighting against the sleepiness. If we fight, then we just use the little energy that we have and increase the amount of struggle. So it's okay and it's totally normal. It's just a passing state. So I recommend to not use the antidotes that are offered at times of standing up, opening the eyes, or whatever we can use to really encourage more clarity, at least not at first because it really tends for the mind to find that ability to rest and there's a good reason that maybe the body needs for some time just to rest and so allow that low energy to be. It's important to respect the rhythm and have trust in the rhythm of the flow of your mind and body process so that we don't go against it's like really creating and building a barrier every time you meet something you go against and it creates just a more a bigger and more reaction sometimes we're faced with boredom and that can be a common one because we're bored just to be in the present and what's presenting in the present is not very fun so we prefer having fantasies in the mind boredom again is not difficult to work with if we recognize boredom 
Boredom is just a disconnection. When boredom is there, there's just a lack of interest with what is. And that's how we notice that, oh yeah, there's a disconnection. And maybe I can be interested a little bit in the boredom itself. And right there, to feel the boredom, what does boredom feel like? We're so rarely born nowadays. So much to do, so many interesting things to do. But there's so many valuable understandings that we can feel just being inactive, not doing anything to run out of the boredom or the bored state. So whatever the state, it's the same way that we will relate with mindfulness, gentleness, openness, acceptance. And that will lead to non-identification, meaning to non-clinging. We cannot want non-clinging. That would be wonderful if we could just, okay, I'm not clinging. It doesn't work this way, unfortunately. So there's not a state that we can create, yet if the right conditions are there to allow for openness, understanding, acceptance, kindness, the awareness is one that will not cling. Awareness doesn't have any preference, again. The fourth is restlessness, exactly the opposite state of Sloth and Thorpe. And restlessness often is seen as the mind that is anxious and worried. And that's usually what we call the monkey mind. There's a lot of thinking, a lot of wandering mind, a lot of thoughts. And here again, if that state is present, ah, wandering mind. Like I told you again and again, notice you don't need to get rid of the thoughts to be present. The mind thinks it's its function to think. The body feels the mind thinks. It's okay to be aware of the thoughts and we can be present as the mind is thinking, noticing. The more quickly we'll recognize that, the less restlessness there will be. And here again, the agitation can be felt in the body. There can be a sense of agitation in the body. And if that is so, open the space of awareness, maybe to sound, <coughs> to really have a sense of, ah, open space. Here, opening the eyes, really feeling the room, the space around you the emptiness of the space around you, to give that energy enough room, enough space. Often the feeling is that we're going to contract and do something about it, but no, allow it, and you'll see. As we're meeting it, it changes, it passes, something else arises. So all these states are totally workable. The last is doubt. And doubt is the most tricky. 
Doubt is the most tricky because it's a state where we are not realizing and often it's so interesting that we're not realizing that doubt is present. All the other ones were in the practice. They're here and we're totally in the practice and meeting aversion, fear, restlessness, worry. Doubt, when it's there, there's a stepping away. And there's a sense of, oh yeah, I feel right to question, to have doubts. And of course, there needs to be a time when it's appropriate to question, is this really the practice that I want to cultivate? Is this good or is this valuable? You can only know when you've really tried it. And so while you're in the process of meditation, while you're here, try the best you can not to try to evaluate. Evaluating yourself, evaluating the practice itself, what it's been offering to you. If you find some more clarity, you can do that, of course. There needs to be a time when, yeah, I've got to know exactly what this brought me. Do that tomorrow or the day after, after some time. But while we're in the process, if we begin to have all these thoughts of, I wonder if this is the right weekend, or if this is really the place where I'll find freedom and or more peace, or I wonder if she really knows what she's talking about. You know, all these doubts come up in the night, different forms. There are different colorations. And often there's a feeling of disguised wisdom. It feels like, ah, oh yeah, self-righteousness, you know. And I know that to think this way is really right. And so again, another layer of feeling self-righteousness in accordance with the doubt makes me feel stuck and disconnected from the reality of the practice. So notice the thoughts that come out as doubts. The doubting mind is really one that needs to be seen the quickest possible. And how do we know that there's doubting? Well, when we're completely lost in our thoughts. When there's a moment where you're totally lost and you haven't really practiced and inclined yourself towards being present <coughs> for some time and you don't feel like doing the practice, then you can say, oh, is doubt present? And I'm sure that you'll see for yourself that that's, it's doubt. Now, often doubt can come also when there's 
a difficult emotion, maybe some sadness or some anxiety that lies beneath and we don't want to meet that emotion. And so to realize, maybe check out for ourselves and notice, oh, is there a difficult emotion that I don't want to meet? And that's why there's this distance and this doubt that is coming up. So with each one of these torments of the mind, and there are many more, but they really fall under these five categories, we can gain a greater understanding. And mostly, we can gain a greater trust. Because it's by meeting each one of them that our confidence in ourself, in doing the practice, will grow. That's how we'll learn the most, exactly like the Dalai Lama said. And it requires just a great strength of steadiness, of courage to persevere. Last night I talked about patience. And tonight the neighbor of patience is perseverance. Perseverance in just keeping on going no matter what. Even if there's the mind that says, oh, I don't want to now. Okay, it's just a thought. Notice the thought and keep going. And we can find within ourselves a greater capacity, a huge capacity that we have of energy, of great energy, which comes forth and gives the sense of faith, of trust. The more we'll relax in the moment, the more we'll find this capacity of trust. So not forcing, yet not giving in. It's a balance which will bring us to realize the truth. And that's the whole value of these teachings, is that when we are present, just with what is, and awareness is the force that is accompanying us, there's absolutely nothing that cannot be met, and nothing that cannot liberate the mind. And what we find then is a greater joy. There's joy and there's happiness. A joy just to be able to live in a free way because whatever is presenting itself to the mind, there's a possibility of liberation and of connection, which links us to this great trust of the heart and meeting of the heart. And the result in this is compassion for the torments of the mind. Rather than reaction, the very natural move is compassion towards ourselves. Oh, 
suffering, torment of the mind, taking care, <coughs> attending to the feeling with compassion. I'd like to end with a few words from the Dalai Lama who are really words of encouragement. He says, never give up. No matter what is going on, never give up. Develop the heart. Be compassionate. Not just to your friends, but to everyone. Be compassionate to yourself. Work for peace in the world. Work for peace in yourself. And I say again, never give up. No matter what is happening, never give up. And this is the great work that we're doing here. We're doing a work that really contributes to the peace in the world. But to be able to make peace flourish and be in relationship to others in peace, we need to find the peace within ourselves. And to find the peace within ourselves, we need to meet ourselves. And this is the work that we're doing here together, that we're sharing moment after moment. So may the Dhamma unfold and liberate the hearts and minds of every being and may compassion flourish. So we'll change the, the schedule a little bit. Um, a 15-minute break, walk, and we'll meet at um, 